Amen and amen. And it is a joy and a pleasure to be with you guys this morning to preach the Word of God. And thank you to Pastor and the elders for this opportunity. Um, It is a special month, and it is the month of December, which brings in a lot of things. Man, I love this season. My wife particularly loves this season so much that she planned a baby to have during this month, so it's amazing. But um, the month of December is special, at least in my heart, for this particular reason. Now, this is an older video, and uh, President Platt is no longer our current president right now. Uh, That's actually Dr. Paul Chitwood. But uh, Platt has made some strong words, and he's made some strong efforts for the IMB, and we just want to keep carrying on this tradition, this tradition of supporting missionaries and recognizing them in the month of December. Um, But before we do dive in, I I think it's appropriate, too, just to say thanks to our volunteers and to our women's team for just decorating this church. You know, it it sets the season for us, and I know it does for me. And so for the next couple weeks, as we are here in December honoring Lottie Moon and also honoring the advent of our coming king, uh, let the decorations speak to you and at least let you enjoy um, just the spirit of Christmas and what that means. Amen? We are obligated to go to them, Platt says. And their knowledge of God is only enough to damn them to hell. According to the global status of evangelical Christianity, a research of the IMB, we have a global population of at least 7.6 billion people in the world. Which means there are 7.6 billion people who are made in the image of God. Every person has a name. They have value. They have worth. And they are in need in hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine living in a world like this where you have never heard the name of Jesus or his gospel? I'm spoiled. And you are too. We can't even fathom what this world looks like from our context. But this is a reality for so many. The study continues and reveals that there are over 4.4 billion people in the world who are unreached. And there are about 7.1 thousand unreached people groups. And these are interesting terms, so let me just give you a definition to help us understand. A UPG, or an unreached people group, is a term that we use to define locations or communities of people who need to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. One source defines it best this way. A people group is considered unreached when there is no indigenous community of believing Christians able to engage this people group with church planting. Technically speaking, the percentage of evangelical Christians in this people group is less than 2%. I mean, we live in the South, and what's the cultural norm? Everybody is a Christian. Christian influence in these UPGs is less than 2%, which means there's little to no gospel representation or proclamation in these areas. Now, now you had a handout in your bulletin. And go ahead and refer to it real quick. There's a number in there in the front page, and it says 152,000. 252. Now, now, find that number and look below it and see what that number represents. 
Again, according to the IMB, there are over 155,000 people who are dying each and every day, and they don't know Jesus. Families, men, women, students, and children, all are dying each and every day and have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Fellow Christian, this is a This is a problem. This is a problem. This is the greatest problem of our time. So we need to respond. Thomas Jefferson Bowen, I don't think he has any relation to the president, former president. A former FMB missionary. Many of you guys may know the FMB was a foreign mission board, which is now known as RIMB. He responded. Let me share with you a few things from his life that will challenge you, and I know it's challenged me this morning. Bone was born in 1814, a former war hero who eventually came to an end of himself when he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bowen was a leader of men during two wars. He was highly respected by his peers and would have and he would and he would have had a prestigious career in the military had he not left it for something else. But that something else was greater than himself, namely being a missionary for Jesus Christ. Bowen says, what profit would it be to me, to my soul in eternity, even if I had risen to the greatest general of the age? The glory of this world passes away, but the love of God, our love of God, abides forever. Bowen hears the call and he goes to what is now known as modern-day Nigeria, but it's not easy. Early into his ministry, Bowen's only other team member that went with him to the field, and and I'll remind you, this is 1814. It's not like how the IMB is today. His only other team member dies. So he would have to continue his mission work alone, suffer great sickness during his first stint in Nigeria. And after two years... Uh, Bowen, he, he had to regroup. So he returned home back to America to find a team of people who'd be willing to go back with him to Nigeria. And the Lord answered his prayers. He found a team. And he eventually found his wife throughout the process. But again, it wasn't easy. There was great gospel growth. And there was great tragedy in Bowen's second sent. Nigerians were coming to faith and were being baptized into Jesus Christ, and we praise God for that. The gospel was spreading through this one man's ministry and his team's ministry. But there was tragedy as well. Bowen would lose his first child in the process. And his health would fail him daily to malaria exposure. The work of ministry is difficult, it's painful, and at times it seems illogical. The author of the article says this, there is a high cost often hidden in taking the gospel to difficult places. Missionaries get sick. Missionaries have mental breakdowns. And missionaries sin, but we must not turn our backs on them. We must pray for them fervently and more realistically with a greater compassion. But is it worth it? Is it worth giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Is it worth going to the nations? 
And my challenge for you this morning is also for me. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? We all need to have an answer to this question. And I pray that God would stir your hearts in responding. So with that in mind, let us turn to Luke 14, where we will read a very, very familiar text, starting with verses 25 and 33. Luke 14, verses 25 through 23. It's still good to hear the pages turn, (laughs) speaking as a millennial here. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who have seen it begin to mock him, saying, this man man began to build and and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not... While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And Father, it is with a heavy heart and a burden that we come to you asking you to help us with this text. Almighty God, we recognize there is a need. And we recognize, Lord, that we have some... uh, There are some questions that we have, and we need to come up with some answers and and understanding these questions, but God, please help us. Every single person in this room is here, not by accident, God. I need you to stir their hearts. Holy Spirit, I need you to work in their hearts and their minds to love you more and love themselves less. God, the question that's penetrating my heart, and I pray that's penetrating everybody's heart this morning, is are you enough? Is King Jesus enough? And Lord, we're going to answer this question. And so help us in Christ's most holy and most precious name that we pray. Amen. And this is a familiar text for many of us. You notice that that Jesus doesn't hide anything. He doesn't hold back any punches. What Jesus says in this passage still has meaning and worth for you today. So you need this. I need this. We, we all need this because there is a warning. One scholar says this, it's possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. So examine your heart. Ask yourself the tough question. Is Jesus enough? You know, Luke's gospel, it's the longest book in the New Testament. And here he presents with his gospel a masterpiece of who King Jesus is. Christ has done it. He has fulfilled everything that his father has given him. Jesus has completely and fully obeyed the law of God, and he has ushered in the new covenant foretold by the prophets. The covenant of old is now obsolete. And the new covenant 
Man, it is here. And it's with and through the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. It's a humble man, or, and throughout Luke's gospel, Luke has been giving us and the readers snapshots of what authentic faith looks like. There's no longer Greek or Jew, slave or free. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all. And Luke wants to teach you and me, the readers, about this. He wants to show us that there are pictures of faith in his gospel to show us the gospel has completely pervaded every single background. It's a humble man named Simeon. Or Simon, a prophetess named Anna, a Roman centurion, a widow woman who's lost her son, a leper, two sisters, Mary and Martha, a blind beggar, even a crooked tax collector, a faithful 11, and a criminal dying beside the Messiah on the cross, which by his own admission he deserved. Snapshots, snapshots of faith. The story and the gospel of Jesus penetrates each and every background so that no one is left without an excuse. Luke's gospel is written to show us that no matter who you are, where you came from, and what you've done in the past, Jesus is and can be enough for you. All you have to do is have faith and trust in him. Believe that he is good. Believe that his righteousness is for you. Believe that it is only through faith in Jesus that will make you right before God. It's not about what you have done, but rather it's all about what the Messiah, Christ Jesus, has done. While Jesus was working his earthly ministry, his fame, his popularity spread like wildfire. People from everywhere were attracted to him. They said he was a great teacher, a prophet, a miracle worker. And it seemed like everyone had an opinion of who he was. And they only followed him to see what he would do next. Sounds familiar? And many of them had it wrong. It's easy to follow Jesus. But it's much harder. It's much, much more harder to be a disciple of Jesus. The issues that we have today are the same as they were back then. Who is a real disciple of Jesus Christ? Many of those during those times, they had their own reasons. Some wanted to see a miracle. They wanted to, get they wanted to, they wanted to see a feeding or be fed. Others wanted to see his power or hear his teaching. Crowds upon crowds were following Jesus. And, Luke's, and Luke lets us know that the reason they were following him were for the wrong reasons. They were all, mis or excuse me, they were the majority of them were missing the point. And that's why in verse 25, we read that large crowds were following and traveling with Jesus. But Jesus, man, he's smart. He takes the opportunity and he speaks to the crowds. And so the first thing we must consider this morning is the challenge that Jesus presents to the crowds in verses 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, that person cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't hold back any punches. He is completely transparent and he does not want to hide anything from the crowds. He challenges everyone's values 
and their priorities. He challenges the family. In the first century, the family unit was one of the most important cultural values. You still see this in many Eastern cultures today. Families stick together. They stay together. They work the same trade and support the same community. It's much more difficult for someone from an Eastern culture to pick up and lead their family for a job outside the community, let alone for another, let alone for another religion, than what we do in the West. So when Jesus makes this statement to the crowds, he knows who he's talking to. He knows this will catch their attention. But Jesus, he, he often does this. He, he's good in drawing in his hearers because he knows exactly what to say. He is such a good communicator. And it's understandable why so many people followed him. Now, there, there is some debate as to what Jesus means when he uses the word hate here. So let's say, well, what does he mean? Is Jesus literally prescribing hate, meaning that, that one must hate his own family in order to, to be his disciple? If not, then, then what could he possibly mean? If you've been in the church for long, I'm sure you already know the answer. There's no way Jesus is prescribing hatred here. It would be completely contrary to the heart of God's law, whereas it says to, to love God leads to loving others, and that includes family members and neighbors in the same way. Love is the attribute of God. So would it make sense for Jesus to prescribe hatred that contradicts his own character? That makes sense? In the ancient world, words can have multiple meanings and uses. For example, take the word love. Love in the Greek. John uses the word love a lot, doesn't he? He loves using the word love. Throughout John's gospel, he uses the word in several ways for different meanings and contexts. So in the same way, the word hate has a few different meanings as well. It could literally mean hate, as in hating someone or hatred of something, or the way we define hate today. Or it could also mean something else. Hate can also mean, in the ancient world, to love something less in comparison to something else, right? Remember Malachi, 5, Malachi 1? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Romans 9, Paul even references this passage. So upon hearing this, you got to think with the crowds. They were wrestling with what Jesus is saying. Some of them were thinking Jesus is literally prescribing hate here. But as they listened, I'm sure many of them thought, no, it can't be. But then the others were struggling. He's challenging my priorities. He's challenging my values. What do I do? They must wrestle with the fact that Jesus is challenging the very thing that hits home to everyone in that culture. The family. So in taking the word hate to mean love less, we can read this passage in another way. If you don't love me more than your father, than your mother, than your spouse, than your children, than your siblings, and even your own life, Jesus argues, you are not my disciple. And he uses this strong language for a reason. 
He used it before the, crowd, the crowds in order to let them know how serious one must be in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure it hits home for us right now. We live in the South. It's very similar to an Eastern culture. Family, food. We, I mean, my goodness, we just had Thanksgiving. <laughs> and so Jesus is not telling you to hate your family. But on the priority list, it's just a representation what is above Jesus? Sometimes, there are times it has been my family, to be honest. And if that is you this morning, I am challenging you to reflect upon that and ask the Lord to help you love him above everything else. Not only does he challenge them in their view of priorities of family in comparison to him, did you notice at the end of 27, he, he challenges them in how they live their own lives on a day-to-day basis. A true disciple of Jesus Christ must take up his cross daily and follow him. Not weekly, not monthly, not yearly. Daily. This too had cultural buzz and implications Because in the first century, when they, first century hearers, heard the cross or heard the word cross or looked upon a cross, they saw death. So is Jesus prescribing death here? I think in one sense he is. Because the way of the cross is the way of death. Luke 9, what does Jesus do? He turns his face towards Jerusalem. And what's in Jerusalem? It's go time. This is why I came. That cross. It's time to take care of business. And that's a turning point in his ministry. When he looks up on a cross and his face is lined up and he's, and he's staring it right down. He's staring it in the face and Jesus does not turn away. He welcomes the cross. Do we welcome that kind of lifestyle? I wish I can confidently say to you that I, I, I do. But man, there are times it's, it's easy to not pick up that cross. It's easy to just pass by. When you think about the Messiah... Every step that he took when that cross was on his back, that man did not quit. My God did not quit. Your God did not quit. And this is the path of discipleship. And Jesus has been dropping hints and clues for his disciples to pick up on this. Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? John 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world and will keep it or will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Following Jesus is the way of death. And that you daily pick up your cross and live to be more like Christ. So so what does that look like? The death here is the killing of our flesh. Your sin, your passions, your desires, your way of doing things in preference. Let me me repeat that. In preference of the way of the cross. Now, let's just logically think here. The cross means death. That only makes sense to supernatural ears. Natural ears, when they hear that, you know what they do? They run in the opposite direction. Our 3,700 missionaries who are on the field right now, they are not running in the opposite direction. We don't know all of them. In fact, we know very few. But they are running to the cross because that is the way of life as spoken of by Christ. Following the cross is the way of humility and sacrifice. Paul tells us this in Romans 12. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. If you want to live, Jesus tells us, you must first die. You must come to an end of yourself, your platform, your desires, in contrast to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So here's the challenge. Does your love for anyone mentioned in verses 26 and 27, or does your love for yourself rival your love for Jesus? Are you interested in the things of God? Or are you more interested in the worldly kingdoms that you're building here on this earth? If you were to take your life over the past four weeks and illustrate it through a pie chart, what would the top five things be that you invested your time in? What would it show? Is it work? Which we know that's a good thing. We we need to pay the bills. But I confess before you, it can be a bad thing as well. Sometimes we need to say no. Or not be excessive. That makes sense. I, I do try and work, I promise. <laughs> but what about family? Again, it's a beautiful thing. It's a gift. But does it rival Jesus? What about recre- recreation? What about Exercise. Trying to become a fan of that. These are all good things in their proper priority. But what about Jesus? Where does Jesus fit in your life? And and just think right now, what are you exactly devoting to him? Is it your leftover breadcrumbs on the table? Or is it your two mites that you're giving from a heart that believes it's better to invest into the kingdom of God 
than my own life. Again, another representation of the way of the cross. And so after challenging the crowds and their priorities, Jesus follows up with with two practical parables and identifying or explaining to them the cost, the cost of following Jesus, because there is one. Christopher Hayes says this, the parable of the tower builder describes a man who before building a tower calculates the expense the endeavor will require for for fear that he will get the foundation laid and then run out of money, becoming the laughing stock of the community. Now, we don't really live in a culture that's like that, but this is embarrassing. You remember the the miracle of of Jesus uh, making wine in the first century with a wedding? To, to not have the necessary things in a, in a big event or making your home, you will be the laughingstock. That, that is your scarlet letter. So the, the person who doesn't count the costs but goes in impulsively, he wasn't thinking. The second parable tells us of a king considering going to war who first calculates whether or not he has the resources to win. If not... He sends an embassy to ask for terms of peace, knowing that engaging in a fight, he cannot and will not win. It will cost him the kingdom, his men, and possibly his own life. Simply put, the parables underline the importance of soberly considering whether or not one is capable of committing to discipleship, which entails a hatred of family and bearing of the cross. There is a cost to following Jesus. And it's foolish of us to ignore the warnings that Jesus gives here. He is telling the crowds, it is difficult to be my disciple. Do you really know what you're getting yourself into? Have you counted the cost? And so so Jesus brings everyone back down to earth and understanding the reality of what's taking place or what it means to follow him. If you can't give up the things that you value most, then you can't commit to dying, then you can't commit to dying to yourself in preference of me. That means you haven't sat down and count the cost in following Jesus. It is hard. But for many, it is worth it. Remember Thomas Bowen? He thought Jesus was worth it. You remember our 3,700 IMB missionaries? They think he's worth it. Remember the disciples? They thought he was worth it. Think about Peter. Verse Peter 4, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What about the Apostle Paul? Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation But it's not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, 
you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. One commentator says this, the disciples, they should take inventory of their zeal for following Christ, their willingness to suffer, and their willingness to, resent, to renounce anything or anyone who hampers the building of this kingdom. The disciples needed to count the cause as Christ did so that their failure to finish does not result in personal frustration, mockery from others, or an unfinished intention which brings the kingdom in disrepute. I needed that. Man, I needed that. Because there are times where you just focus on yourself. And I do, I'm a professional at that. <laughs> professional. And many of us have the privilege of worshiping God here in this free country. And man, that is a gift. That truly is a gift. But for others, I mean, think about the others across the world. Think about the converts in the East who don't have this freedom. For them, counting the costs in following Jesus involves the risk of their own lives. For some, it's their livelihood, their community, their family, and their lives. Well, it's a blessing for many of us to not worry about this kind of religious persecution Counting the costs and following Jesus looks different in our context. Let's just be real, right? It does. So one example in counting the costs is to understand what it means to be a living sacrifice, Romans 12. One thing that hits home to many of us is our finances. How much of your wealth is lived for you versus God versus missions and other things that promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, if we, were to do a, if we were to do a pie chart of your finances over the past year, what would it represent? Would it be filled with vacation time where thousands of dollars are spent on you? And again, th these are good things. They can be really, really good things. But can we dial it down some? Can we sacrifice a little more here or there? But what is God challenging you? It looks different in every family, in every home. I'm just appealing to you that maybe, maybe we should consider that there is something that we should be investing in that's greater than us. Let's not overkill it on ourselves. I want to encourage you to not let your finances control or you control it. Support the missionaries that we have in our church. We have a team going in February. Guys, support them. Support them. Support them to where they don't even have to worry about dropping a dime to go on the mission field. Pray for them. Support the missionaries across the world. Support the IMB missionaries that we are served or that's serving us. They're representing you in places that we have not stepped foot in. 3,700 men, women, and families. And guess what? There are 2,800 kids with them on the field as well. You don't think it's scary for those kids? You don't think it's scary for those parents? Man, 
but they are leaning on Jesus. He did not give them the spirit of fear. We must hear the warning and understand what we are committing to if we are professing to be disciples of Jesus Christ because the task is hard, but it's the grand plan of God. It's how we truly live out faith. It's how we truly live out in the spirit. We come to an end of ourselves because basically if you separate faith and the spirit, there's no way that any of us can do these things on our own. There's no way. So we need his help. Authentic discipleship comes from an intense relationship with Jesus Christ that's generated by the power of the Holy Spirit and authenticated by your love and your passions for him. The beauty of authentic discipleship is that it doesn't start with us. It starts with God. The Son of God came down to do something that none of us can do. He lived authentic discipleship. He modeled it. He prayed for it. He longed and lived for it. The reason why we desire authentic discipleship is because we want to see in our life, the life of Jesus Christ live out. Jesus demonstrates for us the joy of walking with God in full obedience. He never failed. He never wavered. Jesus demonstrates to us the wisdom of God in difficult situations. And that God's wisdom far exceeds the wisdom of this world. Jesus shows us that the way of the cross is the way of the Christian life. Remember, a servant is not greater than his master. And Jesus sets the tone for me and for you to follow. Authentic discipleship is the result of of something happening to you. You can't muster this up. You can't make this happen on your own. All of this is a result of saving faith and the work of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, he is with you always. John 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit whom those believed in him were later to receive. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We don't have to complicate these things. Jesus has already told us he will carry our burdens. You don't have to do this on your own. Jesus has conquered the cross. He's conquered death. He's conquered Satan. And church family, what do we have to fear? I invite you to follow Jesus on his terms. Come to him, all who are heavy laden, and man, he will give you rest. If you're struggling right now, come to him. Desire him in a way that he replaces everything in your life 
that your priorities are restructured around him. Listen to the psalmist in Psalms 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? When can I go and meet with God? Is this your heart? Do you long for King Jesus? Do you long to share his story with someone else so that they may hear the gospel and live? Maybe in this country or others. If you want to know if you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, all you have to do is answer this simple question. Is Jesus enough? There will be days where you might struggle. But when you hit wit's end, he is enough. The path to the cross is a path of daily dying to yourself. But you believe that is worth it. You believe that everything, your finances, your health, your spouse, your kids, everything that you value in this world is enough. And I pray that when someone asks you that question, you confidently say without any, without any hesitation, man, Jesus is enough. You have to want to love him that way. Because that's what the gospel teaches us. He replaces us in every aspect. He replaces myself in every aspect and I need. I hate living for myself at times. I hate my flesh. I screw up a lot. I mess up, I'm sorry. I mess up a lot. But so do you, fellow Christian. You need to live more like Jesus in order to live. So talk to someone about your faith and begin there. If you can't confidently answer this question with a yes, start there. Kill your idols. The look, pant for Jesus. Desire him above all things and enjoy living with him because he is good. And so I pray, I pray that God would open our eyes and this church's eyes into understanding the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that transforms us. Let's pray. Our Father and our most gracious God, you alone are king. You alone deserves our praise, worship, our admirations, everything. And God, while we were still in the flesh, struggling, fighting, and battling, we need you to act. You promised us you will be with us. You promised us the Holy Spirit. And God, you promised us great peace. Help us to desire that. Help us to desire you above everything in this life May our worship, may our praise, may our very breath 
come from a passion and a love for you. And God, it is, it is Lottie Moon. It is a spirit of giving. It is a spirit of thanksgiving. It is a spirit of Christmas. And God, I love this time of year. And we love this time of year and what it represents. But Lord, help us to love this time of year because of you. You came. You fulfilled your promise in sending Jesus. And that we have great work to do. 4.4 billion people have never even heard your name. Seven, over 7,000 people groups, communities don't know you or your name. God, there is a missionary here in this room who needs to go. And I pray you stir their hearts in recognizing that. And God, there are senders in this room who need to send. And I pray that you keep using them, convict them, that, Lord, there is more that we can do in building your kingdom versus ours. Help us to come to an end of ourself and just be faithful. Be faithful like the one, Thomas Bowen. Be faithful like Peter, Paul, the 11. Or just be a faithful Christian here in Valdosta, Georgia. We pray for our city. We pray for the lostness in our city. We pray for the pain and the sin that's in our city. God, help us to reach them with your gospel. And we thank you, Father, for loving us. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen.